Hi, you're listening to my mom, Cat Lee, on the Inspired to Action podcast. Hey, can I listen to it? Hi, my name is Cat Lee, and I want to welcome you to the Inspired to Action podcast. I hope this show is the pep talk that you need as a mom. A reminder that what you do every day is life-changing and that it matters more deeply than you could ever imagine. Out of all the women in the world, God chose you to be the mother of your children because you are unique and amazing and he has called you and he will equip you. So thank you for serving your family, for loving your children fearlessly, and for fighting to be a great mom. This episode is for you. Let's jump right in. Okay, let's start off with some fun news that is super duper time sensitive. As many of you know, I created a printable planner called the Inspired to Action Planner. Well, starting April 26, which is the day this podcast releases, it's part of something called the Ultimate Homemaking Bundle. Now, that's pretty much just a collection of 106 different digital products that are going to help us as moms. All kinds of resources like meal planning things, decorating things, how to get organized, how to study the word, how to manage chores, just incredible resources. And the bundle is only $29.97. Now, the thing is, is that my planner is $15 all by itself. So you just spend $14.97 more, I guess, and you get literally hundreds of dollars worth of stuff. This is an amazing deal, and it's only available for a few days. So if you head over to inspiredtoaction.com forward slash bundle, you can get all the information about the Ultimate Homemaking Bundle. Now, I know it can feel overwhelming that there's so many resources. So just think about the things you want to learn about and then check out the bundle and see if there are products that relate to that. For me, I'm very excited to dive into Michaelin Smith's Cozy Minimalist e-course. That's uh, the nester, if you haven't heard of her. She's a decorating blogger and is just super talented. And she's created this e-course on really how to decorate your space and your home without spending a bajillion dollars or doing a ton of work, which hello is right up my alley. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on. And that alone is worth the price of the bundle. So be sure to check that out, inspiredaction.com forward slash bundle. And I want to just Add a little sweetness to the pot. For the first four of you that order through my link, which is that one that I shared earlier, uh, I'm going to be sending you a free box of HelloFresh food delivery. So this is lately my new favorite thing. I thought I wouldn't like those food delivery things, you know, like Blue Apron or whatnot, but I love them because I found that anybody in my family can cook them. So sometimes after a long day, like I went on a field trip with my son a couple of weeks ago and I came home and my husband had made this amazing dinner because HelloFresh just has all the instructions and everything right there. Or when I'm cooking, it's super easy for my kids to jump in and help. And it's also helped me to kind of expand what I cook and what we make. So I've loved it. And because I've loved it and spent lots of money there, they have given me four food boxes that I can send to friends for free. And I want to send those to the first four of you that ordered the bundle through my link. And for anyone else who orders through my link, I will send you a $40 off coupon so you can try it out. So everybody wins. You get an amazing bundle of learning resources and fun foods sent to your door. I don't know if it gets better than that. So check out inspiredaction.com forward slash bundle. Okay, so today we're talking with Trisha Goyer, who is honestly one of my favorite people. She is the mother of 10 and a grandmother of two, and she's going to be sharing her story of how her family adopted seven children, 
ranging in age from 2 to 16 at the time of adoption. And that was after she'd already raised her three biological children. So she's had a lot of her, a lot on her plate. She has a real heart for ministering to, to those in need, to children in foster care, to children who need to be adopted. And y'all, she's also written 20-plus books, has a podcast. She does all these things, but she does them with such grace and, and balance. And I just think she has so much wisdom for us to glean from and to be inspired by. So let's jump into our chat today with Trisha Goyer. Trisha, I am so excited you're on the show. I've wanted to have you on here ever since we were roommates, I think at the Declare Conference a couple years ago. I remember, maybe it was, was it the Declare Conference? Uh, mom Heart? Mom Heart. It was mom, mom the Mom Heart Conference. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, because I just remember being so struck by you do all these different things and you could definitely, as Anne of Green Gables would say, put on airs for all of the accomplishments <laughs> that you have had. And you are so incredibly down to earth and full of grace. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness, I need to have her on the show, partially because I want to share her with everyone, but partially just because I just want to talk to her and and learn from her. So I am really so honored that you're on the show today. Uh, so just to give everybody a little introduction to you, I would love for you just to share a little bit about you and your family. Okay. Well, I've been married to John for 26 years and we have 10 kids. We have three biological kids and then we've adopted seven kids. So our older kids, they're 27, 24, and 22. The older two are married. Corey's married to Katie and they have two little ones, Clayton and Chloe. And then Leslie is married to Hansa and she's a missionary in the Czech Republic, and she plans on living her whole life there. She married a Czech guy, so she is just loves the Czech Republic. Nathan is 22, and he lives at home, and I tell him he cannot move out <laughs> because he's like my right-hand man. He, right now, he's taking kids to therapy, so he is awesome. He also wants to be a writer, so he just finished uh, his first novel that I'm helping to edit. And then our adopted kids are 17, 14, 14, 12, 9, 7, and 6. And so we have quite the busy household. And it's so funny, you know, we talked about putting on airs. Um, I can't put on airs when, like, right now I'm wearing my leggings and a t-shirt. My hair is in a ponytail. My bedroom is an absolute mess. There's kids' toys all over. It's like, I am completely an ordinary mom just trying to get through the day and maybe get the dishes done by the end of the evening. So <laughs> that's how things are around here. Well, I know immediately, as soon as you started sharing about your family, I probably have everybody's attention more than I've ever had it in an introduction before. They're like, wait, 10 kids. That's phenomenal. And and so I'd love for you to kind of just share how all those kids came to you, because there's, you know, I think a lot of people would be like, OK, well, you you have the, the first batch and they're all grown up. At what point did you add the second batch in and what? instigated that? How did you how did you get involved in adoption and, and and all of that? You know, God did it slowly. I think if I would have just woke up one day and said, someday you're going to have 10 kids, I would have totally freaked out. So um, but he really put it on our hearts over time. First of all, I had Corey, my oldest, as a senior in high school. I was 17 years old when I got pregnant and had him right at the end of my senior year. Um, and my boyfriend was out of the picture and then God brought John into my life, this amazing 
Christian guy and we married and then had two more kids. And so really I thought those three kids, you know, we had a nice little family. I had started writing at the time. I helped work, uh, start a crisis pregnancy center. So I thought, okay, we're good. We had this happy little life. And then um, one day I remember getting a Women's Day magazine or Women's World. I don't even remember which one it was. And it talked about um, Chinese orphans and the needs of families to adopt. And just my heart just went out to them. I thought of you know, God in his scripture, it says to care for the widows and the orphans. And um, I talked to John about it and he was not interested. Um, you know, we had three little kids at home and we were had busy lives. But years later, about seven years later, he actually approached me and God had been speaking to him. And he said, are you still interested in adopting? I said, absolutely. And so we started actually on the road to China. Um, we did all our paperwork and got it over there, paid a lot of money. And then right about the time we got our paperwork over there, they stopped adopting out healthy baby girls. And our hearts were just broken. Um, you know, they said, if you have a match, it'll be, you know, five, seven years down the road. And I didn't understand because I felt like I'd been waiting so long to adopt. And here the doors seemed to be closing. And I remember the day when I got the news from the adoption agency, um, our paperwork had already been in China a year. And I just was so crushed um, because I felt like we'd been waiting so long and we were doing what God asked. You know, he tells us to care for the orphans. And I remember just crying. And finally, at the end of that, just saying, God, whatever child you have for us, like, I totally trust you. I just put it in your hand. And we had our idea where we wanted to go, but I turn it over to you. And, um, you know, got up off the ground and <laughs> really just decided I'm just going to turn this over to God. And it was actually that very day I was taking my grandma to Walmart and I got a phone call on my phone um, from a lady I knew from a mops group. And she had a distant family member who was facing a crisis pregnancy and knew we were open to adoption and wanted to know if we would be interested in meeting the young woman. And she was actually seven months pregnant at the time. And I said, absolutely. And we ended up meeting with Jenna and we have an open adoption with her. And we ended up adopting Alyssa. Um, we got her when she was six days old. So it went from it may be seven years till you have a child from China to all of a sudden three months later, we were bringing um, home a brand new baby girl. And um, when we thought, okay, this is what we've done it. We're good now. And then uh, God just put the needs of kids in foster care. Um, How old were mind. your other kids but, at this point? That's a good question. So by the time we brought home Alyssa, our youngest was 16. Okay. And so they were like 16, 18, and like 21 at the time. And our 21-year-old um, was engaged. And so we brought him a baby and he was engaged. So he was moving out and our daughter, um, was, had, was moved out. And so we just had our 16 year old at home at the time. And so here we are 16 year old and brand new baby. Um, and, and we moved from Montana to Little Rock, Arkansas, all within the same month. So two kids moved out. And I know and people are probably moved. listening and they're doing the math from what you said in the beginning of the ages of all your kids. And so now they're like, wait. And so I think they're probably <laughs> sitting on the edge of their seats being like, wait, how, how, there wasn't a 16 year gap before. What, what, what happened? So tell us how you brought the rest of your kids. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we had Alyssa and she was just the sweet little girl and was extremely spoiled because <laughs> she had just these doting adults and teenage brother. Um, and 
at our church, we ended up going one day and there's this gallery of photos. And I remember walking in and looking at it and thinking, what is this? And someone said, these are kids in foster care who are open for adoption. So their parents' rights have already been terminated. They are just wards of the state and they just need families to, um, to open their homes to them. And I remember just thinking about it and John and I really didn't say much. Um, but just a couple weeks later, I ended up going to a women's retreat and I flew to Florida and on the way there, I just felt God just putting those kids on my mind. And I got to the retreat and some of my friends were there and I said, ladies, we just pray with me. I just feel God calling me um, to talk to John about adopting from foster care. And so we got together in my room and we prayed together and I called him that night, you know, not knowing what he would say. And the very first thing out of his mouth was, have you ever thought about adopting from foster care? I was so blown away. Wow. And at the same time, God put it on my heart and I was praying with my friends. He had gone to lunch with a friend. Um, he worked at Family Life at the time and he went to lunch with a friend and he said, you know, we would like to adopt. And uh, Alyssa would, you know, we need, would love siblings closer to her age. And but we don't have any more money. Like we spent money in China. We spent money on this private adoption. And his friend said, you know, you don't have to pay anything to adopt from foster care. And there's so many waiting kids. And so the same day it's on my heart, it's on John's heart. And so we just said, okay, this is clearly from God. And we ended up going and doing all the paperwork, going through DHS, Department of Human Services, and doing all their training. And October of that year, so it was only like three or four months later after we decided we wanted to do that, um, our paperwork was turned in. And then that January, we got a call about a little boy and a little girl. Um, Casey was two and Bella was five. They had been in foster care most of their lives. They had a lot of emotional issues, um, and so they had been moved around a lot. They had a lot of behavioral issues, and they said, you know, they, these kids just had a failed adoption, so they actually had moved into a family that was planning to adopt them, and after a couple of weeks decided they couldn't handle the issues, and they said, so would you take them? And so I'm like, what you're telling me, there's these kids that they've been moved around because of all these issues. Um, and we have a two-year-old, so really it was a concern. But both John and I just had the peace that, yes, we were supposed to do this. And um, they said, okay, well, we want you to pick them up in three days. So this is our preparation wow. time. Three days to bring home a two-year-old and a five-year-old. And um, I don't think either one of us slept the night before. And we were tossing and turning. And that night um, we got up and John and I have a morning quiet time together. We read the Bible and pray and we had been reading through the New Testament, and that morning we were in the book of James. And as we were reading, we came upon James one twenty seven that says, pure religion is to care for the orphans and the widows. And all of us, both of us just started crying because we knew that was just God's confirmation, even though there were so many challenges with these kids that they were our kids and this was God's timing because it just so happened that that happened to be the chapter that we were reading um, that day and we brought them home. And so for sure, I thought by now, like, okay, we can, we have two more. Um, we went through about a year of therapy with each of them. And by the end of the year, they were doing so much better. Just, we got the right trauma therapy that showed us how to help them and how to deal with them. It was completely different type of parenting styles as my older kids. Um, but they were doing better after a year and we got to a happy place again. Wow. And I also um, mentor teen moms. So here in Little Rock, every Thursday night, I um, lead a teen mom support group. 
And I saw so many girls that aged out of foster care. Um, one year, well, actually just one semester, we had five girls who had aged out of foster care and with all, all of them were pregnant within six months because they don't have any family. Mm. They usually end up moving in with a guy and are found themselves pregnant. Then the guy ends up dumping them. They're on their own, sometimes homeless, living from couch to couch. And so I just started thinking and talking to John, like someone needs to do something to help girls so they don't end up aging out. You know, we need to think about older teens. And, you know, the more I talked about, the more I realized, like, I'm preaching to myself (laughs) here. And so we ended up talking again to the adoption specialist. And they said, we said, um, do you have maybe a sibling group of older girls, maybe some teens that might be aging out soon? Like we were thinking like two, (laughs) maybe Mm -hmm. three. And they said, actually, we found out just yesterday about a group of four girls. They were preteen and teens. Um, They were the ages of between 10 and 15 at the time. And they had, they had also just had a failed adoption. So there was a family that they had moved in with and it didn't work out. And they were back at a living at a children's home. And they said, we are looking for a family, but you know, a lot of people don't want older kids and they don't want teens. And they sent us just their names and the ages. And as soon as John and I read that list, we hadn't even seen a photo yet, but we knew that those were going to be our girls. And so um, the adoption was finalized just a year ago, just a little over a year ago. And now they're 17 and then 14 year old twins and then a 12 year old. Um, and again, another long year of therapy, a long yeah. year of just trying to get all these broken people fit in and living together and loving each other um, in the same household. But again, we're at a happy place and I've, we have no more plans to adopt any more kids, <laughs> but um, we're just so thankful that God brought these kids into our lives. And John and I will look at each other and say, can you imagine our lives without these kids? And there's no way we, I mean, they're so much ours. They, they feel just as much ours as our biological kids. And we're very thankful to have them. So can you give me the ages then again of like Alyssa, Casey and Bella, and then where the four girls mesh, mesh in with their ages just to, okay. So yeah, Alyssa, the one we adopted from birth is now seven. She just turned seven and then Casey is six and Bella is nine. And then the four girls we adopted are Florentina and she's 12. Um, Jordan and Lauren are twins and they're 14 and Maria, um, is our 17 year old. So we're doing all the, she's a junior this year. So we're already starting to get letters from colleges and doing ACT testing. And I mean, you know, really we only have a couple of years to launch her before, you know, she's ready to go into college and all that good stuff. So, you know, in my head, listening to you share, it all sounds very storybook and magical, but I have one 12 year old girl and one 14 year old (laughs) daughter. And I know how emotional it is to mother them. You know, they're wonderful and amazing and everything, but being the ages that they are, it is just an emotional thing. And, you know, I've had them since birth. There's no trauma to work through. There's no adjustment period. What has this year been like bringing on four girls and trying to mesh that in with all you're doing? I just, it, I'd love just kind of a behind the scenes look at what that's been like and what, what that journey has, has taken you through. You know, the first year they moved in with us, so they've they've been living with us uh, like a year and a half. So they had to live with us six year or six months before it was finalized. And that first six months, and then even a little bit after the adoption, 
Um, it's daily trauma. I mean, it's daily emotions. They don't trust me. They don't believe John and I are going to adopt them. I mean, they have no reason they've been hurt by their biological parents, by foster parents, um, by many, many people promising that they would adopt them by this family that moved them in. I mean, they've just hurt, been hurt so many times. And so it was crisis after crisis every day. There was one girl that would get upset and, um, you know, even sisters, they would fight with each other. So I'd try to like step in and help want someone. And then her, her sister would turn onto her side. And so then I'd have two girls against me. And it was, um, you know, times they would go days without speaking to me. I mean, it was, it was a lot of trauma. I mean, there is the, just the drama of being a teenager and then add on all the trauma stuff. Um, and you know, I'm a writer, I'm a speaker. I could, um, you know, speak in front of crowds and large conventions and all these things. But in my home, it didn't, none of that mattered. Like I was just this woman that was trying to make them believe that I wasn't going to hurt them and that I love them. And so none of the outward accomplishments mattered. Um, it just was the daily loving them and persisting and, um, trying not to get engaged in their anger. And the therapist taught me that right away when they're dramatic and trying to run away and packing up their things, you know, just the more I could stay calm and not engage and not get angry and not try to um, you know, say, you have to listen to me or any of those things. It just helped them. It helped them calm down. It helped them feel that I was a steady presence. And um, it was hard. I mean, I remember times when they're emotional, they're having all these problems and saying these horrible things and just sitting in the middle of the floor and just praying, just sitting there praying and texting my friends and saying, can you pray for us right now? And I have a group of about six friends from all over the country. And I would just say, can you pray? And they just knew what I was talking about. And, um, you know, it's not easy. And I, I know why some of these adoptions fail, because if you just think this is how it's going to be for the rest of your life, um, I mean, who wants to live like that in the midst of all this trauma? But it just helped so much, um, especially that we'd, we'd had Casey and Bella first. And they had emotional outbursts, but they're two and five. So right. they can't be as verbal or as, you know, lock themselves in their room and try to climb out onto the roof. I mean, they were two and five, so they would dump the milk and <laughs> smaller <laughs> things. Um, but we went to trauma therapy with them. And just having the little ones first, it just helped me realize that they will change and they will learn to trust me and we, we can get help for them. And the therapist will show us how to do. I remember the first time, um, you know, I was on my way to therapy. I'm thinking I've been a mom for like at this time, 23 years and I know what I'm doing. And I learned very quickly that all the parenting stuff I had <laughs> done with other kids didn't work. And sitting down with the therapist who was like this 24 year old intern with my notebook and just saying, tell me what to do. Like, tell me wow. exactly how to deal with these trauma issues. And she helped me. And so I really just had to trust that I was going to be able to get the help I needed. And, you know, finding that right type of therapy, the trauma therapy, um, made a huge, huge difference. And I mean, now my husband tra also travels for work. So that's a hard thing. He's probably gone a week out of the month though. So there'd be times when I'd be home with seven kids and everyone is going crazy. And then the younger kids would be upset because the older kids were upset. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> but this week he's actually out of town. And I was just talking to him this morning. I'm like, there has been no issues. Everyone's doing what they need to do. And we homeschool and everyone's getting along. And, you know, um, I mean, we are just at a completely different place, but it came 
just loving them through the hard stuff and just proving that, yes, you can trust me. And yes, I am going to stick by you and know, you know, you're not going to leave. And even today, the girls will say, I had a dream last night that um, you kicked me out or you didn't want me anymore. And at first that would like freak them out and they would have a really hard day and all the steps forward that we took, it would just slide back. But now they say, you know, but I know mom that that's not true. It was just a dream and it's just silly and I'm not going to pay attention to that dream. And so just seeing how they feel a part of the family now and they feel like they can trust us and they know that we're never going to leave them. Um, you know, I say, well, if you run away, I'm going to have to run away with you. So you better <laughs> have room in that backpack for my stuff. And so they totally know, like, I, we're not going to let them go. And mm-hmm. it's just made all the difference in their lives. What did you learn from the trauma therapy that would apply kind of universally to a mom that, that you, that, you know, the mom listening could apply regardless of her, her child's experiences in life so far. There are so many good things. Um, one of them is uh, what you praise is what's repeated. So it's so easy to just point out all the wrong things they're doing or all the negative things they're doing. And really when they do something right or when they have a good attitude, just start praising that like crazy, like, wow, I just love how you woke up and you started getting dressed all by yourself. Great job. And, um, you know, any, I love how you put your dish in the sink, you know, anything that you want them to do to praise them. Um, that makes a huge difference instead of just nagging them all day. Um, another thing that I mentioned a little bit earlier is don't engage. So when they're upset and they're angry and they're, you know, red faced and, you know, you want to use your authority and you want to tell them to calm down and you want to, um, you know, send them to the room or yell back. And there's times I've definitely done all those things. Um, but instead just saying, it sounds like you're really having a hard time. Um, you know, maybe you need some quiet time to settle down or do you want to talk about it? I mean, not letting your emotions rise with their emotions is a huge, huge thing. Um, and when you don't engage, they don't have anyone to fight with. (laughs) If you just stay calm, then they don't fight with. Another thing I learned in therapy is that when they can get you upset and they can get you yelling, then they win. Um, so basically I've say one of my children does something wrong and I am trying to discipline that child and they get angry and upset and I get angry and upset and we start this yelling match. Well, all of a sudden they become the victim. Like you're yelling at me. So, Mm. um, just don't get to the point where they have a chance to victimize themselves. Um, you know, the more that I can stay calm, the more, uh, the better we can handle the situation. So the, so many of those things is just, um, kind of an ignoring and just keeping a level head about all the negative things and really uplifting and praising all the positive things. And, and also just labeling their emotions. Like you seem really upset right now, or you seem really sad, or would you like me to just sit down with you? Um, do you need someone just to even not even give you the answers, but just be with you right now, um, makes a big, big difference. And our little Bella, when she was five, when she moved in, you know, she was, sad she would get angry and if she was hurt she would get angry and um you know she'd hit the wall and run away and we had to teach her like come to mommy i want to comfort you i'm going to help you i want to put a band-aid on your boo-boo these are things that they they had didn't have people that taught them those things the therapist says maybe they got a spanking when they got hurt because the person didn't want to be bothered by it or maybe they were laughed at so we just had to teach them what emotions are and i think just in everyday parenting just to help kids recognize those emotions, even if they're not 
raised in the situation is just help them to see the emotions, understand that the emotions are okay, and that we can help them deal with those emotions. Okay, that was just so good. <laughs> all of that, all of that. You know, and, and I like what you said, too, about how, you know, sometimes some, some of your children, we don't know what used to happen to them when they would get very emotional. And, and so for those of us listening, that's something that could be really helpful to evaluate. If my child is upset and not coming to me, it might just be because they need time to relax or figure it out or whatever. But it's a good question to ask myself. You know, am I just trying to solve all their problems instead of listening, empathizing? Am I um, making, belittling them in some way? You know, what are my responses that are encouraging them to come to me? Or what what are my responses that are kind of holding them back from coming to me? And, you know, there's not always going to be an answer to that, but it's a good, good question to ask. Um, I do have a question about the don't engage thing. So this is really hard for me. I'm just going to admit. So this is like cat therapy right now okay <laughs> with dr trisha goyer um so don't engage that's so hard for me so if a child is you know i, I don't know give me a, give me a, give me a scenario when you would not engage because here's my tendency is i would feel like oh if i don't engage then i'm not addressing the issue so and then if i think oh, well i just let them calm down and then i address it later then maybe i forget to address it later how do you how do you handle that scenario does that make sense yeah that makes sense and i think with the don't engage, like if they're upset about, uh, and, you know, teen, teen girls get upset about crazy stuff sometimes. <laughs> I mean, if they're just emotional because their hair is, uh, you know, whatever. And then because they're emotional, they start yelling at their sister. And then I try to step in like, you know, you need to really calm down and not yell at your sister. Then they start yelling at me. Um, if I feel offended and start yelling back, that's engaging. If I say, don't talk to me like that, young lady, you need to respect me. And that's engaging. Um, instead, it's just like, okay, I see you're upset. You have a couple choices right now. You can go to your room. You can calm down. But if you keep up this talk and keep talking disrespectfully with me, you're going to have some consequences. And so, I mean, you are engaging where you're dealing with it. But you're what I mean by engaging is you're not getting emotional back. Right. Um, as you know, you, I mean, we, with these 10 girls, I just would feel my heart pumping and like keep mm-hmm. rushing to my face. And cause they are, you know, being disrespectful and saying rude things. And plus they're doing it in front of their siblings, which I'm thinking this is a horrible example. Um, but if I let those emotions get me engaged emotionally in negative ways, it doesn't do any good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I will say, you know, go to your room for a little bit, calm down. If you're not willing to calm down, then, you know, you're not going to be able to watch TV tonight with the family or something like that. So they know that there is going to be consequences and it's still, um, you know, we still, I still, every day I'm talking to the kids because one of them, one of the seven (laughs) is going to be emotional or upset about something, but the more I can just stay level-headed and not get angry back and not raise my voice and not, um, get emotionally charged, then it just helps the situation. And they know that there's, there'll be consequences and I do give them time to like go to the room and calm down for a while. I think that's um, genius right there because yeah. you, you address the situation, you let them know, hey, there's going to be a consequence for you behaving this way, but you also give them a dignified out, you know, an opportunity to have a timeout instead of just rushing into the situation and just straight up disciplining. And especially for teenagers, I think to give them the opportunity for that dignified out to say, okay, wait, you know what? I'm not handling this well. I think I will go to my room and you know, calm down or whatever. And so I, I like that you gave those two different options there. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll come back within five minutes. And the first time they came back within five minutes, I was shocked. Like <laughs> they, you know, they were able to get a hold of themselves and they would come back and apologize. Some, I mean, that those are like the ideal situations. Sometimes it's two hours. Um, not two hours in their room because I don't let them, you know, especially if we're doing homeschool or something, I don't let them just go to the room for two hours. But sometimes they'll come back and kind of be solemn as they're doing their schoolwork. But then two hours later, they may say, Mom, I'm sorry the way I acted this morning. So and I'll say, you know, I love you still. And all of us have hard days sometimes. And thank you for apologizing. You know, so it's not always an easy fix. And I think as moms, we want that. We want, mm-hmm. OK, we want the apology now. We want everyone to be happy. <laughs> we want everyone to get over it. Um, but sometimes it takes a while to get over those emotions. Do they ever not apologize? And how do you address that if you get to that point? Um, I think I think we're pretty much at the point now where they will apologize. Um, or And if they aren't forthcoming with it, sometimes I'll, I'll just go up and say, you had a really hard time earlier. Um, and they'll say, yeah. And I said, I'm glad things are better now. And they'll say, yeah. And they, then usually they'll say, I'm sorry or I'll say something like, you know, I think we can do better tomorrow. Let's try to do better tomorrow. So, um, you know, sometimes I will approach them and just remind them like kind of like as a resolution, like because we all need closure like right. <laughs> from what happened. So sometimes if they don't come to me, I'll go to them and say, you know, tomorrow we'll do better. But I'm talking like this, but there are times I do get mad. <laughs> <laughs> I do yell. I mean, just this morning um, and, what, you know, we homeschool seven at the same time. So someone's talking, I'll tell them to stop talking. And, you know, this morning I raised my voice. I'm like, please stop talking. I'm trying to read. And she's like, gee, you don't need to yell. And, you know, like three minutes later, I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry. I yelled. And so I don't get this perfectly right all the time. (laughs) I know what to do, but it doesn't mean that I always do it and always get it right. But I'm learning the more I practice this and the more I don't get emotionally charged. um, It just helps the situation so much. But with seven kids at home right now and homeschooling them, you obviously have plenty of time and opportunity to practice. Absolutely. (laughs) This is our testing ground. And I'll say that I'm like, God wants you guys to be peaceful, loving, gracious people. That's why he's put you in a home (laughs) with his family. We have lots of time to practice peace, lots of time to practice patience. Um, And I can see it really, it is making a difference. And you know, the coolest thing is now at church or something, I'll see them helping someone else and people's approach and say, man, your girls are so caring. And I'm like, oh, okay, that like that is just worth everything. Just seeing how they are changing and growing and turning around and beginning to serve other people. I love it. So you mentioned in the very beginning that your husband wasn't quite on board when you were first talking about adoption. How did you wait well or did you wait well? Um, you know, what God, I just impressed upon my heart was not to bug him about it. <laughs> not, and so really, it was like seven years where I would pray about it. And there's seasons where it'd be on my heart more and seasons, you know, just be on my heart less as I'm going about life and being busy. But just really just praying about it and just praying that if this is something for us, God will speak to him too. Because adoption is something you definitely don't want pre- to pressure anyone to, into doing. Because right. then when things get hard, it's, you're going to hear, it's all your fault. You're the one who wanted this. And <laughs> I mean, it has to be both people 100% called to it. And God, and just trust that if it's supposed to happen, um, God will speak to our, your husband's hearts. And I get asked all the time at conferences or when I speak, people saying, I'm, I've been wanting to do this. And 
my husband's not interested. And a few things I say is, you know, just pray about it. But also think about his concerns. Our concerns, women's concerns are usually like the emotional part and how are the other kids going to handle it and how am I going to deal with it? The men are usually concerned about space. We have enough space in our home. How am I going to afford to care for these children? Mm -hmm. We don't have a car big enough. So they're more logistical. And, um, you know, if he's willing to talk through some of those things, you know, we did. We bought it. We have a 12 passenger car now. I was about to ask. I was like, how do you do do that? When when our kids, um, I had an office and a library in our home and now my office and my library are in my very small bedroom. So it's so (laughs) packed. Um, so we just had, we had both had to make sacrifices. You know, we have a car payment now that we didn't have before. And my bedroom is now my office and there's piles of books everywhere because it's my library too. So both of us just had to make sacrifices, but talking through those things, like what are the biggest concerns, um, really made a difference. And, but just really, it came back to God's word. Like, God tells us to do this and it maybe not everyone's called to adopt, but we all need to be figuring out how we need to be caring for orphans and widows in some way. If we helping other adoptive families or fostering families, like all of us should be doing something. It's not like God says, okay, once your house is paid for, your bills are paid off. Um, you've had a time to travel, then help orphans and widows. I think it just, he says care for orphans and widows. So we all need to figure out, what that looks like for our family. So if we have friends who are fostering children or have adopted, how can we help? Oh, I love this question. (laughs) So, I mean, I've had friends come over and say, I'm just going to do some laundry for you. And um, I had one lady from church and I almost cry every time I say this, but she just came up and she just gave us, I don't even know her very well. So I think that's why it means so much to me, but she just gave um, us a card with some, with a hundred dollars and some pizza coupons and said, I know it must be hard to feed that big family every night. Just go get yourself some pizza. Mm. And that was like such a meaningful thing that this lady would see our need and just like provide pizza for one night was huge. Um, our church also for a while was doing a parents night out. So once a month, all those who either foster or adopt, they would um, have a game night for the kids and they made it super fun. So it wasn't just like, babysitting they set up little carnivals and games and all this stuff for the kids while the parents could go out and have a day na- date night um i've had friends that have started you know texting me and say hey i'm going out to dinner can i take three or four of your kids just for fun um Aww. just to find and those types of things like that people can actually like see us and see our needs has been huge um one friend from my husband's work um, when we got Casey and Bella, they actually gave us gift bags of presents for them, which, cause you know, you don't get a baby shower. Like no one gives mm. you a baby shower when you adopt a 16 year old. And so people that have thought about like getting gifts and celebrating, I had a friend from California when the adoption was final, she had ordered ice cream somewhere online and like this big freezer pack thing of ice cream shows up at our door and she's like, celebration, just have a little ice cream party for your kids to celebrate their adoption. So just stuff like that has been really, really helpful. Um, And then prayer, just, you know, people will call or text and like, how can I pray for you today? Um, Because I know things are hard and just knowing that there's people praying for us really makes a big difference. I love that. You know, I just can only imagine how emotionally challenging it is so many kids so many emotions I you know I just have three and, and I feel like it's this revolving door of 
requests and needs and problems and things. And so to multiply it times that many plus, you know, the, the, the different challenges that the kids have, I just, it just sounds overwhelming. And so I am sure that most of us have someone in our lives who has adopted or maybe who is fostering and, you know, how powerful just to reach out and to be a helping hand. And, you know, sometimes it feels awkward. I'm like, well, do they need help? Do they want my help? Yes and yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I would say yes for both. Yes, they need your help. Yes, they probably want your help too. Um, but, you know, I hate asking people for help. Mm-hmm. I have to do it. I mean, I think God's really kind of like made me not be so prideful in that area to ask for help. Um I'm traveling, speaking at a homeschool conference. My husband has to be out to work and my daughter has an event. And so I'm having to ask neighbors, can you pick my daughter up at 1030 at night from this event? I mean, I have to ask for help because, you know, it's just us with all these kids. So So something we haven't dived into, we haven't dove, we haven't divin, not sure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Something we haven't talked about, Tricia, is the fact that in in amidst all this, you've also written like 25 plus books. Um, and, and a lot of those are nonfiction, which I have to say thank you. My daughter loves your books and she has learned so much about World oh, War II from them. And I, I love them as well. But it's just fun that that she's old enough now that we can both read books that we really enjoy and that it's fun for us both to read. Um, so how in the world, how in the world do you manage homeschooling and the emotional challenges of having teenagers and littles and all of that and write books that, you know, are somewhat, you know, obviously way more complicated than like Dr. Seuss. You know, I just don't <laughs> think I don't have the brain capacity to even comprehend how you do this. How how, how does this happen? Well, you know, I, I've been writing a long time. So my first writer's conference was 1994. I mean, that tells you I was 22 when I went to my first writer's conference. So, I mean, part of it is um, like writing is kind of what I do and I love it. And it's, you know, I could write a book in three months, which when I started, it took me three years for my first book. So that is different now. Um, but I just have to figure out I mean, it's, it's so much in me and like I have these words and messages in me that I just need to figure out the time and the space to get those words on paper. So I'm usually like jotting down notes as I'm going through the day and I'm, I'm t- sending, uh, I have a little text thing. I text myself, um, you know, different things that I think about, but really it's just trying to fit in the time. So like right now I just finished a book. It's called uh, Walk It Out. It'll be out in October and it's all, it's a lot of these stories about adoption and we also go to an inner city church and, you know, choosing to love hard people. I mean, that's what this whole book is about. And I think 90% of the book was written between like four and 6am as I get up, make myself a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and I'm tired, but I just sit there and, um, God is there when I write. I mean, I just have to depend on him so much and so it almost becomes this like special time. I'd have my time and I'd read the Bible and I'd pray. And then I would sit down with the manuscript and the words would just come because I'm living up. Like I'm, <laughs> the book mm-hmm. talks about the adoption and um, it, it basically it is doing the things that God asks us to do in his word and the results of it. So it's adoption and loving the poor and, and going to an inner city church and seeing myself as 
just as hurting as the person sitting next to me on the pew that's homeless. Like all these things that God is really stretching me. That's what this whole book is about. And it just poured from me because I was living it. But So it's really taking the time and the space to do that. And, you know, I've been writing for a long time and I've always had kids at home. And what I've just discovered is that writing benefits my kids. And so not feeling like I'm robbing them when I take time to write. Um, you know, sometimes I'll get a babysitter in the afternoon today. My son has the little kids and taking them to therapy. He's going to watch the kids so I could write in a, in a little bit. And it's just realizing that they benefit from it. They see mom working hard. They see when the books show up. They hear me telling stories of how God just spoke to my heart today. They they travel with me. I just went on two speaking trips. And on one trip, I took two kids. And the other trip, I took three kids. So they get to go stay at the Opryland Hotel <laughs> and, you know, experiencing these things with me. So it's a benefit to them. And at first, I thought, like, I'm the worst mom ever taking time to write and taking time to follow my dreams. But I've just discovered that if we want our kids to like grow and follow God and do amazing things with their lives, like we need to show them how it's done and we need to model that for them. And so now I don't see that as like taking it away from them. I see it as a benefit. So when I do have to get a babysitter or when it's a movie night and they want me to sit in there and watch a movie with them and I, instead I have to like finish this article that needs to go out tomorrow or something. I mean, there is sacrifice but it also is benefiting them um, in different ways. And just seeing that, that God didn't put this in my life to take away from them, but put it that will benefit them um, as they get older. And I've seen with my three adult kids. I mean, they all love Jesus. They're all serving him. My oldest son's a children's pastor. My daughter is a missionary. Um, my My third oldest, like I said, is my right-hand man. He helps me out so much, and he just wrote a book. And so I've just seen how God has just is using them now. And um, so it just encourages me to take that time to do the things that God has asked me to do too. So good. How do you decide what to do? Because, you know, obviously with homeschooling, there are so many things you could do with your kids. There are so many different curriculum things to pick, so many different extra things to do. I'm sure there's all kinds of extracurricular options your kids could do. And then even apart from your kids, uh, you, you're going in speaking places, you have different book opportunities, you do a radio thing. How do you decide what fits and what doesn't? That is an excellent question. <laughs> and I have an answer. Um, years ago, I was just so overwhelmed when I first started writing and uh, volunteering at our local crisis pregnancy center. And I was homeschooling and I was had my kids in t-ball and ballet and all these things. I was just so overwhelmed. And it was was John that actually like made me sit down and, and said, what things are priorities? And, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, what things are we going to be happy that we did and what things do we wish that we would have done better? And so we cut out most extracurricular activities. Um, when our, when we just had three, we let them do one activity a year and that was it. So the two of them um, chose uh, basketball and the other one, we did some homeschool stuff, but he didn't really want to play sports. And now that we have all the kids, we don't have any extracurricular activities. Um, well, we do have American Heritage Girls. The, the three younger girls go to that twice a month. But that's besides youth group and church. That's like our only activity because the things John and I chose that we wanted to have our kids focus on is family dinners. So we have dinner together almost every night and then reading together as a family. So after dinner, he'll um, read to us. We're reading through the Chronicles of Narnia. And then at bedtime, 
I read again to the little kids. Um, we wanted to focus on homeschooling and even in homeschooling, I homeschool all the kids at the same time. So we do prayer together. We do, um, a devotional type book together and then we read missionary stories together. Then we do history together and they, the kids, all of them take notes and they draw pictures as I'm reading through the history books. Um, and then we, um, do like poetry and some writing together. So, you know, we have the kindergartner and we have the 11th grader. So they're obviously at different levels, but I'll just say, okay, you write a page about this and you write a sentence about this. (laughs) So I've just learned, but we do it all together. And then the older kids, um, especially the 11th grader will break off and she does probably another two hours of her own work. And then the, the junior hires, they do another hour and a half of their own work, but really, I'm doing a lot of it together. So it's just really thinking about like, what are my priorities and what are our priorities as family? We want that family time. We want reading. We want um, church service, you know, serving together in the church. We want family dinners. Um, What's my priority in homeschooling? I want them to know the word of God and to hear missionary stories and to, um, you know, build relationships with each other, whether, you know, that's why we all do it together. And I would rather have kids that, you know, graduate from our homeschool, that love Jesus and want to serve him. Um, I mean, that's a priority. And yes, you know, ACT scores and all that stuff is important. But I mean, our main goal is just raising these kids who will love and serve God. And so it just takes like sitting down, like, what will I be thankful I did five years from now? And what things really won't matter, you know, five or 10 years from now. And I mean, if your family is a sports family, then that might be your priority. Um, but we're more reading books and family <laughs> dinners and we do family trips. Another thing is we do family trips. So um, I'm speaking in Seattle and I got asked to go out there. And so instead of just me flying out in a couple of weeks, our whole family is driving to Seattle mm-hmm. in our 12 passenger van. And we're going to explore on the way. We're stopping by the Grand Canyon on the way home. And that's we love traveling together. So it's just like, what things are we going to be thankful that we did together as a family. Um, cause we realized like I have a 27 year old, the time flies. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't think it does, but the time flies. And so, uh, really just focusing on what will grow them into be godly adults. Do you ever feel pressure from culture or community to do things differently? I used to, and I would absolutely not anymore. Um, it's gotten so easy to say no. I see other families and what they're doing and their pretty homes and their, um, I don't know, different cars. <laughs> it's just, it's not a priority anymore for us. And I think the more, um, the more time I spend with the kids and the more I've seen the results on, you know, focusing on their heart and focusing on the most important things and not letting all these outside things that society says is important or community says it's important. Um, those things, aren't even appealing anymore because I've seen like focusing on these kids' hearts. That's what really matters. And just seeing, you know, my kids serving God and loving them and my daughter's, uh, you know, missionary across the seas. I mean, just seeing like that is worth everything. Just hear her when I, we talk every week. And so just hear her telling about how she's sharing Christ and her and her husband baptized five different young people in the last year. And just knowing that it's like, that makes all the difference. And so it gets so much easier to not get consumed with the things of life, the, 
making your house look nice and <laughs> making, mm. making sure everyone's dressed in designer clothes or whatever. Those things don't even matter anymore. Just knowing the type of adults that we can have when we take the time to really focus on our kids' hearts. Okay. So if you had to list, let's say three things that you either are glad that you did less of or wish you did less of, and then three things that you think were core to who your kids have become, what would you say those things would be? This is totally on the spot. I hope. Okay. (laughs) Things that I wish we would have done less of is um, with my older kids was all the sports activities, especially when they were like five and six, when they're just like, chasing the soccer ball as a mob (laughs) amoeba amoeba soccer yeah i mean it's just uh sure they had fun but i mean yeah those it was just we were gone every afternoon i was so stressed out and there's all these practices i mean i wish we would have done less of that i wish i would have this is funny now because it used to be such a huge priority cleaned my house less um but i would spend before i would spend like every saturday just getting my house perfectly clean. And I'm thinking, man, I missed so many family days that we could have gone out and uh, done things. Um, And then I just wish I would have stopped trying to compare myself so much with other people Um, as a thing I would have done, wish I would have done less of. And then things that I'm thankful that we did, um, serving as a family, so serving in the church, serving in the community when we see, you know, a single mom in need, We'll go over and offer to babysit. I mean, we still do that today. I'm, I'm so thankful that we've raised our kids to look at others and serve. Even when I started my teen mom support group, I would take them and they would help babysit and they'd help sort diapers and baby clothes. And that has benefited them more than anything. Um, I'm so thankful we went on mission trips. So our three older kids, we started going on mission trips when they were in early high school and junior high and just getting them out into the world and seeing that not everyone is living this American dream with the big house and three cars and mm-hmm. <laughs> all the clothes. And I mean, we and we were in the Czech Republic, which is a we started going on mission trips there, which is a pretty modern. I mean, they they have iPhones and they have computers, um, but they have very small apartments and they some families don't even have a car. They walk places and they use public transportation, even in smaller villages, they don't have cars and um, I'm so glad I got them out to see that there's people out there that need to hear about Christ and they don't have all the things Um, and then I'm super glad that we just opened our heart to adoption Um, it's so funny because we were watching Annie the new Annie last night um, and the kids are in foster care in that one and one of the songs the pepper in that Annie show says um, she was upset and Annie's like what's wrong and she's like no one wants to adopt teens and I looked at the team. I'm like, no one wants to adopt teens. And my little seven-year-old Alyssa says, we do. We adopt teens. We adopted four of them. <laughs> and I was just telling John this morning, my husband on the phone, because he's out of town. I'm like, it was we adopted teens. Like my seven-year-old saying, we adopted teens because it's our family thing. Like they, you know, we sat down with our kids and we talked to them. Even our little kids, we talked about, you know, we, we want to adopt some older kids. And this is something we need to do as a family. So they feel like we adopted teens. And so um, I'm so thankful that it is part of who we are. Like we care for people and we see their needs and we help them and we adopt them if it's appropriate. (laughs) So um, that is so, you know, and those are some of the hardest things we've done. But 
it has been so worth it. And all our kids say that they're going to adopt someday. So we'll see. So if you can give me your exact home address, I'm just going to buy the house next door to you and um, just let you teach me everything you know and send my kids over to your house as often as possible. Cool? Cool. There is a house down the street for sale, so I would <laughs> well, love to have you as a neighbor. Don't tempt me. You know, I'm, I'm sure everyone listening is probably feeling the same way that I am right now. Just, I am just so inspired and encouraged and mm-hmm. motivated. Um, I feel like... You've you've broken some the paradigms isn't quite the word that, that I'm looking for, but just some some things that we feel like, oh no, 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 we need to fit into the American dream. We need to do all these things and give our kids all these quote unquote um advantages and opportunities to do all these different things. But really, really a lot of that is stealing away from the most important things. And um I just feel like sharing your story has has given so much freedom. And, and thinking through that. And I love, just love just the humility of your heart as well. So I am really, really looking forward to that book. Uh, can you give us the name of it again and when yeah. it releases? Yeah, it's um, Walk It Out and it releases in October. And the subtitle is The Radical Result of Living God's Word One Step at a Time. So Walk It Out. So good. And y'all, you can go to anywhere books are sold and find all of Trisha's other books. Um, I've read a lot of them and they're all so good, especially if you like World War II stuff. Although I have to say the first time, I think we were supposed to be roommates at some other point in time. I don't remember when. And I remember I had not read any of your books yet. So I picked one up and it was one, I'm not going to give away the name and I'm not going to give away what happens, but there's a character with my name in it. And Oh, yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and, it, and I'll just say it's not the most ideal character that I'd want to be named after. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> So, but yes. such a great. Well, I'll have to do another cat character and, uh, and redeem make it. it more positive. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. I appreciate that. Thanks. <laughs> um, but so, so many good books. And especially if you have um, older kids, you know, like my older daughter is 14. And so, probably my 12 year old as well. I'd let her read them as well. Obviously, it's about World War II. So, there's, you know, different things in there you might not want your six year old right. to read. But so good and so interesting and fun. Just simple reads and yet full of great history and conversation points to have with your kids. So, Trisha, I am just so thankful that you took time out of your very full life to share with us today. And I honestly, just one of my favorite guests ever. So thank you so much for sharing your heart and humility. I love it. I love listening to your podcast too. So it's always a joy. I just feel like I I just know you because I listen to you. (laughs) Like I really know you. Where can people find you and all the things online? Do you do very much online as far as like social media or are you mostly on your website? Where do you hang out online that people can? All of it. All of it. Yeah. So, awesome. Um, my website is just Trisha Goyer and it's T-R-I-C-I-A Goyer's G-O-Y-E-R.com. And Facebook is under author Trisha Goyer and Twitter. It's Trisha Goyer, Instagram, Trisha Goyer, pretty much if you've just put my name in any of those things. And um, I'm on Facebook a lot. So that's one of my favorite platforms. Um, I love asking questions of people. And so it just gets my juices flowing. So I love connecting with people there. Excellent. Trisha, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much, Kat. All right, y'all. What did I tell you? Wasn't that so good? I love what she shared about what you praise gets repeated and how not responding 
with emotion when our kids are angry can help keep the situation from escalating, the importance of staying calm, and really just her story. And she does it with such grace. I just am so inspired by her. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Inspired to Action podcast. If you want to check out any of Trisha's books, just go to our show notes, go to inspiredtoaction.com, and you can click on this episode with Trisha Goyer, and we'll have all the links there for you. Also, be sure to remember to check out the Ultimate Homemaking Bundle, where you can get the Inspired to Action Planner, along with 105 other amazing resources that are really going to help you as a mom. Again, one of my favorites that I'm excited about checking out is The Cozy Minimalist by Michael and Smith. So for those of you into decorating or maybe like me not into decorating and need some help in that area, that could be a great one for you to check out. But all the resources are included in the bundle and it's such a a really a great deal. So go to inspiredtoaction.com forward slash bundle to get all that information. All right. Thank you so much. And we will see you next time on the next episode of the Inspired to Action podcast. It's early in the morning, the house is quiet. But I've set aside this time for you. I bow before the throne of a noble place my heart begins to sing it's gonna be a good day a good day filled with his grace his grace and sweetness